Amen. Well, this morning we are starting the new sermon series, Lured. Um, and so here's, here's the thing. We're, we're talking about a fence this morning, and we're going off of a book called The, the, the Bait of Satan by John Bevere. Um, and a great book. Uh, recommend it, highly recommend it to everybody. I, I think uh, most Christians should read it once a year. Um, but here's, here's the challenge. We've got two Sundays, about 30 minutes each Sunday, so that's an hour total to convince you to let go of offense and to not be offended, and you know that's not near enough time, okay? So don't give me any flack if I don't hit everything that has to do with offense, uh, because it is a gigantic subject, and, and it's one of those things we all know we're not supposed to hold on to offense. If we're believers in Christ, if we're disciples of Jesus, it's pretty clear you can't hold on to that stuff, but easier said than done. So there's what's the right thing to do, and then there's how to walk that out in application, and sometimes those two things don't always connect. Sometimes those things are harder than they appear, but we're gonna do our best this morning. So my papa taught me how to fish when I was just a little boy. Uh, he taught me uh, that you have to use certain bait depending on the fish that you're going after. And, uh, and so he taught me, you know, you use stink bait or blood baits, what he called it for catfish, spinners for bass, fly for trout, and I'm sure a multitude of others, but I'm, I never turned out to be the great fisherman that my papa was. But when he took me fishing, we used uh, stink or blood bait because papa stocked his pond with catfish. And so we went fishing for catfish. Now they're bottom dwellers and they like to feed on dead stuff. So the right bait for catfish is, is anything that's stinky or foul smelling. Like that's, that's what's going to lure them. Um, some fishermen use spinners because the fish that they're trying to lure like bright and shiny bait. Um, real fishermen who like to fish a lot have a tackle box with dozens of different lures for different types of fish, depending on the type of fish, the type of water that you're fishing in, different times of the day. But the idea about bait is to offer the fish something that it will bite. And when they bite, then you've got them hooked. One of Satan's favorite lures or bait in the Christian's life is offense or being offended. And it's deadly to the disciple of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke a lot about offenses. Like in Matthew 11, 2 through 6, where Jesus addresses the disciples of John the Baptist. And he says, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now these are all signs that were expected to the Messiah when he came. And these are all signs that were, throughout Judaism, they existed in Scripture through the Torah and the prophets. This is not an exhaustive list, but there's one more that's really important to the Jewish, the oppressed Jewish people, 
And that is that the promised Messiah was supposed to set the prisoners and the captives free. It's part of their story as an Exodus people. But mysteriously, Jesus leaves that one out. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Isaiah 42, 7 says, to open blind eyes, so there's the blind eyes, and to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. Psalms 120, verse 20 says, to hear the groanings of the prisoner, to set free those who were doomed to death. And Psalm 146, 5 says, Happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Jesus is confirming to John's disciples that he is the Messiah by pulling all these things together from the Torah and the prophets. And that the Jewish people, all these things that they've come to expect of the Messiah. But he leaves out liberty to the captives and prisoners being set free. And instead, Jesus tells to the disciples of John, he goes, tell John, please tell my dear cousin, blessed is he who's not offended in me. Basically, by leaving that out and then telling them, to tell John not to be offended, he's telling him, you're not getting out of prison, John. This doesn't end with you being set free. And please don't be offended. Do you remember why John the Baptist is in prison in the first place? <laughs> An offense. Herod Antipas and his wife, Herodias, are offended at John for rebuking Herod for divorcing his own wife and unlawfully taking Herodias, the, the wife of his brother Philip. They get offended and they put John in prison. Now John's in prison and he's expecting, there's this expectation of what the Messiah is gonna do when Messiah comes. Jesus lists all those things and then he says, but he doesn't list set the captives free. And he says, John, don't be offended. Don't be offended with me. You're in prison because of an offense. Now, don't be offended with me. The word offended comes from the Greek word, uh, root word scandalon, uh, which, which means to ensnare or to entrap. And we see it used in our scripture this morning when he said, and then he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses, scandalon, should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. So this Greek word originally uh, referred to the part of the trap that the bait would be attached to. So I brought a mouse trap this morning. Don't worry, it's new. Okay, so there's no, there's no, no guts on this one. So this mouse trap, this, this little thing you actually put the cheese on, this will be the scandal on. It's where we, where we get the word scandal in the English. It's a scandal to the mouse. Put cheese on there, and then what a scandal! But that scandal on is where you put that, where the cheese goes. And when the mouse takes the bait, he triggers the scandal on, or the, the trap snaps shut on the mouse, and the mouse is then ensnared or dead. 
We get the English word, again, scandal from scandalon in the New Testament. Scandalon is translated as offense, but also as a stumbling stone or a stumbling block. And offenses, they scandalize us and they trip us up in our walk with God. The quality of our life as a disciple of Jesus is based on how we handle two types of bait or offense. Number one, being offended at God. And number two, being offended at others. And this morning, if you're offended at God, the antidote is repentance. I get it. I've been there. Easier said than done. The bait of offense is the part of the trap. And every trap has two things. Okay? Every trap has two things. It must be hidden or disguised. Because Proverbs 1.17 tells us that if a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. The mouse trap to the mouse doesn't look dangerous. I know to us, I see, ow, that's a snapped finger. I hate them, man. I hate doing, you try to set a mouse trap. I'm in the garage. It's like, it's one of the only times I lose all masculinity. I'm just like. <laughs> I hate them. Oh, they scare me. I'm like, I do not want this thing going off on me. But I know the danger of this. But the mouse doesn't. The mouse doesn't look at this and go, ooh, a mouse trap. He's, he, look, he just smells and it's like, oh, cheese. So this is disguised to the mouse. It's hidden. Secondly, the trap must be baited. And the bait has to be something that appeals to the nature of the mouse. The trap Satan sets is designed to make us stumble and the bait of Satan is to set before us an opportunity to be offended. And hear me, there's plenty of opportunity to be offended or walk an offense in America in 2018. There's plenty. Jesus himself said in this morning's scripture, it is impossible for offenses not to come. But I'm pleading with you, don't take the bait. It's one of, if not the greatest, hindrances to the work of God. Offense is a stumbling block to your spiritual growth. So we know that offense is deadly. And our scripture this morning tells us that it's impossible that no offense should come. So the real issue is how will we respond to offense? And this is a critical question because as John Bevere says in his book, The Bait of Satan, our response to offense determines our future. The quality of my Christian life is based on how I handle these two kinds of offenses, being offended by God and being offended by others. The antidote to being offended by God is simple, but it's, it's rough going down as any medicine is. It begins with humility and it ends with repentance. Not two words that we like to hear very often, but today, if you're offended at God, I offer you the words he offered John the Baptist. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. I say that with compassion, and I say that as one that has been offended with God, not as one that walks above that. First, as a minister, I want to offer you an apology for what the prosperity gospel taught the American church. 
when you set people up to believe that the true life of a disciple of Jesus is prosperity, wealth, and a trouble-free existence, then you're bound to get an entitled generation that gets easily offended at God and the church when hard times come. And we may not constantly live in hard times, but it will be an ebb and a flow. They will come. It is guaranteed. But Jesus' own words in John chapter 16 begin with, these things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. So again, Jesus in John chapter 16 is going to begin this discourse with his disciples. This is the point in Jesus' career where he's fixing to get real. He's going to stop speaking in parables to his disciples. He's going to let them know what's coming in real words. And he says, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble so that you won't be offended. And the chapter ends in verse 33 with Jesus saying, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Why? Because in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Between verse one and verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples, disciples, is who he's talking to. Those following him, those with an expectation of what a life with Messiah is gonna look like. He tells them all these things that they should be expecting and it concludes words like these. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God's God a service. <laughs> Yoo-hoo, sign me up. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus, really, you ought to, you ought to write for Hallmark. This is awesome. Thank you for the encouragement. We've often been guilty of preaching a, a gospel of the short game. Riches, treasure, and abundance in this life. And Jesus is letting his disciples know that his gospel, the good news, is a gospel of the long game. Eternity, in fact. So if you were expecting the short game and anything in this life, other than to take up your cross and follow me, that was never his gospel. And the bait of Satan is to get you offended at God for something you never promised, but rather we assumed by a short-sighted reading of his word. The gospel of Jesus in the entirety of scripture is good news because eternity, his long game, is glorious and is nothing to be offended by. So the antidote to being offended at Jesus is to humble ourselves and to repent for having believed a short-sighted gospel when in fact he promised a long game. And our hope and our joy can be fully anchored in the eternal perspective of what Jesus promised. If you wanna know what that looks like or if you need an example of the long game, Tatum Schulte had it. There's your example. Study her life. She presented the gospel of the long game and she didn't take the bait of offense towards Jesus. 
Secondly, if you are offended at others, the antidote is to forgive. Luke 17, one through five talks about this. This is our scripture this morning. It says, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. So there's three things going on here. So working through this passage, three things just in verse one alone. Number one, then he said to his disciples. So who's he talking to? He's not talking to the masses. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the followers of Jesus. This is insider info. He's not asking the world to do this. Number two, offenses are gonna come. They're inevitable. Expect traps, know what baits you. That's number two. Number three, we, the disciples, must do everything possible to avoid needlessly offending others. Now I'm gonna break down the rest of the passage here in just a second. But you need to hear the part about we need to avoid offending others. Because imagine there's all this offense going on and we wanna know how can we get the other person to stop offending us? How can I get them to quit offending me? That's not where it begins. Woe to those through whom the offense comes. If we all take responsibility for our mouth, because this is not required. My catty comments and my sarcasm are not a requirement to the conversation. A lot of the things that I add to a conversation could be offensive. And I can end that by doing this. It begins with us. And if all of us are doing that, there is a time to speak. But if all of us are doing that, then offense kind of takes care of itself. So he says we must do everything to avoid needlessly offending people. Why? Because Jesus said it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And then verse three goes on to say that when it comes to offenses, we have to take heed. He says, take heed to yourself. In other words, watch out, be in touch with yourself. The bait of Satan's gonna present itself to you at any time and at any place. And you have to be aware. And then Jesus gives the antidote to offense, forgiveness. If your brother sins against you, Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now notice here, he says if your brother, the term is brother, because no one knows how to hurt us like our own family. So whether that's your physical family or your spiritual family, no one knows how to hurt you like your family. And he's talking about our brothers. If your brother sins against you, I think it's important to point out here because the world may offend you, but you're a disciple of Jesus. You're supposed to walk above that. You're supposed to be the bigger person. The world may offend you, don't take the bait. It may, that cheese may sit on the scandalon. You know you may be attracted to cheese. If you smell that, Know what's coming next. But specifically, he's talking about if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
The most serious offenses always come from family, from the church, from those who care most, whom we care most about. And it really hurts when a brother offends, but Jesus says, deal with that offense. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. Don't think it's just gonna go away. You know better. You know those things fester. It doesn't ever just go away. You have to deal with them. And when he says rebuke, that simply means let them know they've offended. Now you've gotta be a big person too. You've got to know when something's a legitimate offense or if you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed that morning. But you have to give them a chance to repent, to apologize, to make it right. But you have to present it to them. And here's the kicker. Why should we forgive? Why? Why should I forgive? Because you've been forgiven. Christ did this for you. You've been forgiven. And you know you. And you know you don't deserve it. And you know it was offered. And secondly, you're going to need forgiveness from someone in the future. If you're married, men, you know you're going to need forgiveness from your wife at some point. So stop it. Be quick to forgive because you know you're going to need it sometime. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you're going to have to make up your mind to live in never-ending, unconditional forgiveness. Oh, that's so hard. Hear me. That's not the same as reconciliation and being in relationship with someone that severely harmed you or is a repeat offender in harming you. That's another sermon. That's a sermon on boundaries. It's not keep putting yourself in harm's path. Keep letting him hit you. Keep letting him beat you up. It's not talking about that. We're talking, that's reconciliation. That's being back in a relationship with someone. What we're talking about this morning is forgiveness. We're talking about offense because offense is what happens to you. It doesn't hurt the other person. I've held grudge on a person for years. It didn't hurt them at all. Just made me miserable. Forgiveness is the first step. Reconciliation and boundaries is another sermon. But hear me, this, this radical discipleship makes our head spin. It does. And, and it made Jesus' disciples' head spin as well because in Luke 17, 5, he says all that. And then they said, says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Oh, gosh. Then increase my faith. This is the only time Jesus' disciples ever asked Jesus to increase their faith. They didn't do it when he sent them out to heal the sick and to cast out devils. They didn't do it when he told them to feed the multitudes. They didn't do it when he invited them to walk on water, all of which seem harder if you actually think about it. But when he said, don't offend and forgive, increase my faith, because that's a tough one. The only time they asked for that increased faith was when Jesus told them how to handle the bait of Satan. So next steps, according to Jesus, Offense is impossible to avoid. And our only choice is how we're going to respond to offense. So here's some questions we need to ask ourselves and honestly answer. Am I holding on to offense? Am I? Or maybe you could put it as offense holding on to me. Secondly, will I repent when I'm offended at God? 
And will I forgive others when they offend me? Will you? Thirdly, have I offended someone else? Fourth, how, will, how would Jesus expect me to respond? How would Jesus expect me to respond? Well, here's how Jesus responded from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And that may be just the perfect prayer to avoid offense. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord. <laughs> I thank you, Lord, for the thing that is steak and potatoes, and I thank you for the vegetables. I thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to let us know what we need to hear. Lord, it's hard. It's not easy. Frankly, Lord, at times I don't even want to do it. But Lord, I love you and I want to walk close to you. And there's nothing more that I desire than to walk as close to you as possible. And I know, Lord, that offense always stands in the way of that because it's offense. It's a barrier. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people, Lord, that take it serious, walk hard after you, and choose, Lord, to forgive, to choose to, to pray the prayer, Lord, that you prayed from the cross. Lord, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.